I have a couple quick announcements, cycling related, of course. So I have my online bike maintenance webinar, though you'll learn how to change your tires, repair broken chains, adjust your brakes, and learn how to use all the tools that are in your bike bag that you should be carrying with you. Go to bmcwebinar.com. The next one is my four hour cycling skills intensive course. Now this is where you're going to get all the cycling skills you need to take your experience to the next level, whether it's on the road or online, you're going to learn proper bike pedal form. That's going to help you with your efficiency. You're going to learn how to climb hills, all the skills, tips and tricks and speed and power. Not to mention, we're going to finish off the nutrition that ties everything together. So go to cyclingskillspro.com and you can find all those information on my courses, webinars, and downloads there. Take care and have an amazing day. And remember, you're only one pedal stroke away from cycling like a pro. Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Dao, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle, all things cycling, and with your host, Sylvie Daou, and we have an amazing local lady to where we live, to Ottawa and Chelsea. Her name is Natalie Allport, and she's not into cycling, and I'm sure she will be now that she's back in the area, so I'm have my fingers crossed. I bet you she'll just become a mountain biker because <laughs> her background is uh, snowboarding. And so Natalie was a former national team snowboarder, multi-sport athlete, lifelong, lifelong entrepreneur. So we're going to really dive into some of those things. She's also a CrossFitter, which she didn't put in here. But it's <laughs> all over her Instagram. So you guys have to go check her out there. But um So she also has a podcast. So we're going to promote her podcast. Go check it out all in. We'll put a link in the description so you can go and, um, and listen to her podcast. Uh, Natalie is passionate and a passionate advocate for athlete mental health. So we're going to talk about that with regards to her, um, her experience at the national level, which I imagine probably had a couple things going on in there. Um, She runs a digital agency, a marketing agency, 93 Agency. So you can check that out. Um, With well over decadive experience in social media, sports marketing, personal branding, and speaks on topics such as performance habits, mindset, and in conjunction with her story. So welcome to the podcast. Natalie, I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And like you said, a newly local. I mean, I've always been Ottawa local, but Chelsea local. You crossed the river, basically, coming over to Quebec. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I still have my Ontario plates. 
oh no, you better watch out. <laughs> we we carry uh, uh, our lease in the uh, glove box in case oh. uh, something ever happened. We got questioned and we went to Trombla and we actually wrote like on a piece of paper and put it in the window in case someone was upset. But uh, there's, I mean, I saw so many Ontario plates there that I'm sure were actually from Ontario. So Natalie, let's talk about how you got started into your uh, passion for snowboarding. I love snowboarding. I used to snowboard. Yeah. I went back to skiing, skiing, snowboarder, skier. And I got a little taste of snowboarding because my girlfriend was trying it. I'm like, oh, I'll try the board on. And two runs, I'm like, oh, I have to put that, put that on hold. But tell us how you got started. Yeah, so growing up, I played almost every sport. Uh, like sports are just a major part of my life, pretty much my my whole life. Uh, I played hockey. That was my main sport outside of school. Like in school, I played every sport. Outside of school, hockey was basically the priority. Um, so very much a hockey family. Uh, I was actually born in Vancouver. So I lived there until I was about five. So that's where the skiing came from. I think I learned how to ski when I was about probably two years old. So that was always just a, a big part of everything. I then discovered skateboarding um, and really liked that and then saw that all like the cool kids are snowboarding. And so I just switched my rental skis in for a snowboard one day. I think I was probably 12 years old. So actually pretty late start for, for most of my peers when I was competing in snowboarding. Um, and especially for nowadays, you see the 13 year olds are pro already. Um, but yeah, that's how I kind of started getting into the, the snowboard realm heard that so my son is kind of he wants to snowboard you know because he's got friends who snowboard and I'm like well th this was last year I'm like well get on a skateboard this summer and we'll so if you're really serious about it, get on the skateboard he got a skateboard went on it once and I was like eh, I don't like it. I'm like well this is kind of uh and now he's like yeah that probably would have work because his friend's like I started on a skateboard and I'm and he's like so good but yeah. so how did you get pulled into um getting into racing so I, I actually did slope style so like all the jumps and the rails that was that was my uh, event and um yeah like I, for me it was like there was a small little competition I remember at the hill and I never was really interested in anything other than going into the terrain park I just thought that was like the coolest part like doing tricks and I think that comes from the skateboard background and so I just immediately got into that. There was like a little competition. I think my first competition I won, but I came home and my dad asked me how many people were at the competition. And I was like, uh, two, <laughs> two people. So yes, I, I beat one other person, um, but I was still so hyped about it. And so from then on, I just really wanted to snowboard. And then I had to make the decision between hockey and snowboarding because competitive hockey as most uh, hockey families know is basically a daily commitment there's no time to snowboard in the winter when you're playing high level hockey. So uh, eventually I, I decided to play a little bit lower level hockey and snowboard and it still just wasn't enough. Like the hockey wasn't challenging enough and the snowboarding still wasn't getting enough time. So I had a, again, do I go back to the highest level of hockey or do I pick snowboarding? And my parents were vouching for the hockey because, you know, there's scholarship tracks, there's national team, all these things. At that time, snowboarding wasn't in the Olympics, uh, at least slope style snowboarding. So they were just like, what, you're just going to be a snowboard bum or something. But I was like, no, 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 I, I want to do this. I want to be a pro snowboarder. So uh, I just traded in and uh, I still played high school hockey, but I basically just went all in on snowboarding. And I actually started out 
I became a snowboard instructor so that I could spend even more time at the hill and my parents could drive me. Very good and very smart. So are you talking about local hills here, like Fortune? That's where you started? I, or I, I'm at Mount Packenham because it was we lived in Canada, so the west end <laughs> of Ottawa. So it was uh, like, it's even smaller, right? Yeah, <laughs> than Camp like... Fortune. Oh my gosh, yeah. It actually felt amazing to come to the hills over here. I was like, these are so great and giant. And, <laughs> They're oh my so gosh, much then, bigger. Uh, yeah, then you go to good Whistler thing. and you go to Breckenridge and you're yeah, like, right. never mind. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's good that you didn't start there. Like if you, and you came here later on in your life, you come here, you're like, what the hell? <laughs> I, well, you know what? That actually was kind of an advantage because you would compete against people who ride at the biggest mountains with the best conditions. And you learn here how to ride in any conditions and make the best of icy or weather. So you, you gotta, you're more adaptable, I think, when you come from this background. I think you're totally right because... Um, it also, I find, uh, with smaller hills, you have to really get, you have only so much hill to practice all the skill you have. And so you really make the most of it. Um, yeah. and, uh, so that's cool. So you started at Pakenham. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, woo. Um, and yeah. so you made your way over. So did you get on like a school team or no, there wasn't so anything? Yeah, there was nothing like really I, in high school, I kind of had separate lives, like my snowboarding lives, snowboarding friends, and then high school life and high school friends. Uh, eventually, I started looking up online, like any competitions nearby, uh, discovered kind of like a tour that I could go to. And so I started going to Mont Tremblant a little bit more so that I could go to some of those, again, a little bit bigger mountain. Like, um, whoa, this is a big... <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And finally got to, you know, hit bigger jumps and just do some of those things. So I was able to go out there. I ended up graduating high school a semester early. Um, I had talked, I think in grade 11, I talked with the guidance counselor with my family to try to see how I could make that happen so that I could get into, you know, traveling and going to these competitions as early as I could. Um, so did that, uh, that actually ended up being, I partially, I graduated early to compete, but actually in the end, it, I almost graduated just to work uh, and make money to be able to go to these competitions. So while my friends were doing all the fun grad stuff, I was making breakfast sandwiches from 5 a.m. to noon uh, all week. So uh, it was an interesting last semester there. Yeah, but you know what? That's what you do. And I love the fact that you went and you became an instructor because um, my daughter did the same thing. Like she's not into downhill skiing, racing, but uh, we start, I started her when she was, I don't know, five years old. Cause I grew up skiing and, um, and then we stopped and then she got back and she started seeing her friends uh, becoming ski uh, instructor, no assistants. Like you could start oh, at the yeah. age of 12 to 13 or 12 to 14 or anyways, and you could be an assistant and then we, when you got to a certain age maybe it was 14 or 15 then you can become the instructor and you get make more money and i said sweetie if you do this you can literally teach anywhere do you know what i mean yeah. like and make money if you want to go traveling anywhere you can always fall back on like being an instructor it's just like being a lifeguard you can go anywhere and be a lifeguard yeah that's true yeah. so um so you're working and you're snowboarding. So how did it, how did you make it to the national team is a bit of a story there. 
Yeah, yeah. So basically what happened was during that semester, I, I took that job and then I ended up going to my first like competition alone. So I flew to Vancouver. Luckily, we have a ton of family out there because that's where I was born. So um, that's been a blessing throughout my whole snowboard career because I was always able to see family when I had to go back and forth to Whistler. Um, and so I went to uh, to a competition and it was at uh, Mount Seymour, which is actually where I learned how to ski. And oddly enough, the bunny hill or whatever run that I learned how to ski, I can like visualize it in my mind being like two years old on my skis. That was actually turned into the train park. So basically the same run that I had learned on is now like where I'm competing. So it was kind of a cool full circle. But in my last day of training before the competition, I ended up, my aunt just dropped me off and said she's picking me up later. Uh, I ended up breaking my tailbone. So I basically just came off the jump and kind of slid off and was going too fast as well. So landed at the bottom straight on my butt. Um, and I just remember like I tried to ride down to the lift and bending over, I could barely bend over to take off my bindings ended up like still trying to ride and uh my aunt eventually picked me up and uh but i was like i flew all the way out here i still have to do this event so i slept on uh, with like peas under my butt and did everything i actually couldn't even bend over at the the top start gate to do up my bindings before jump dr uh, dropping into the run so i had to get a friend to do up my bindings for me to drop in um, so needless to say that competition didn't go that well because I wasn't doing any of my best tricks. I was just trying to survive because any little bump, uh, and landing off a jump was very painful. Um, and so I, I tried to do that and then it, it came back to, I had this competition, the biggest one of my season at Montrama. And it was a, it was a all woman slope style competition. Um, it's kind of was known as like the top one in North America and had a lot of pro snowboarders and girls I'd seen in magazines who were competing. Now, the year before that, I had all these high expectations, which is, I was just way too high for my actual level and ended up coming last and just crying and being extremely upset. But I said, next year, I'm going to come back and win. Um, so this is only a couple weeks after the tailbone break, but the doctor said there's not much you can do other than rest. Uh, you can't make it too much worse. So I said, well, you know, I'm doing this event for a while. A long time. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The, the plane ride home was absolutely awful. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah. So I, I ended up going to that competition and I ended up winning. Um, and so that was basically changed the whole trajectory of my entire career because I was up on the podium against some girls that I'd seen in magazines. Um, it was kind of a surreal moment. I remember my dad, and my brother were there. We called my mom. I ended up winning, uh, like surprise money, gear, all this stuff, but also a trip to a different competition in California. So I got to go and connect. We got picked up by the Billabong and Monster Energy bus and, you know, get traveled around. I had never been to the States by myself. That's cool. Um, yeah, the so <laughs> it was cool. Like we got to watch snowboard movies in this tour bus. Like it was, it was just such a cool thing. Like I just felt like, like a pro snowboarder. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And so, um, so that, that was a fun experience. And then basically, you know, spent the summer doing, um, kind of summer things, but I'd also saved up to go to Camp of Champions, which is a, a summer camp on the glacier in Whistler. Uh, I'd always wanted to go, but it seemed like unless you had money, it's like, it's very, very expensive. So I had saved up everything. Um, and I, I did, I made a deal with my parents. I could afford two weeks. They said, we will pay for your third week. If you agree that if you want to chase snowboarding, you can, you can, at that time, my plan was to move to Whistler and chase being a pro snowboarder. They said, you can do that as long as you promise you're going to go to school. 
Um, so that was finished high school at this time. Or are you talking university? Yeah. So I, I graduated high school semester early. Uh, so I was finished that early and then it was to go to university. Yeah. They were like, you have to do, you have to make an agreement with us, especially then because it wasn't, again, it wasn't yet in the Olympics. So there wasn't a program. They just thought I was going to go and be a, like a snowboard bum and maybe be a pro, but you know, all the partying and things that they thought went with it. I'm all with the parents. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it did. <laughs> you might be like, oh, do I have to? But it's like. At that time, yes. But now I, if, well, I'm sure when the story comes full circle, it, yeah. it, I, it you'll see that I, I definitely benefited from that. But um, yeah, so we went out to Whistler. I, I mean, I had a, a great time at this camp. During the camp, they announced that snowboarding, slope style snowboarding would be at the 2014 Olympics. So the energy was high because all the best athletes like uh, Seb Tude, so like every best uh, freestyle rider in the world, all the pros go to this camp. So everyone was there. Everyone is excited. Um, and that was a conversation. So went home, hanging out with my family. And I got a text from a friend who said, uh, did you see that on the Canadian snowboard team website, you're on the junior national team? I'm like, what? Like, I didn't even know they have a junior national team. They didn't even ask me. <laughs> Is that, you know what? They didn't. Like, I never got an email until I think like the next day. It was insane. They had a press release and everything. And I was like, I didn't even know there was this thing. <laughs> I knew they had a half pipe team, of course, because half pipe has been in the Olympics forever. And of course they have the racing side, but I guess with the, the inauguration of this being into the Olympics, they had to, you know, create this whole program and quickly get it going. And so, yeah, so that kind of kicked off my, my journey with that. So instead of moving to Whistler, I ended up actually moving to Collingwood to work with a private coach there, um, part of a team. And I lived with my coach's parents and trained there all season. So it kind of went a different route. Instead of, you know, going to Whistler and doing that life, I really dove into to being this, the athlete life and, and trying to train with, uh, for the national team. Collingwood is in Toronto. Yeah. So they what, actually like Blue Mountain. Is that where you're trying? I lived near Blue Mountain, but we trained at Mount St. Louis Moonstone, which is near Barrie. And they have a really good terrain park, like really good jumps and it's really well built. And so they actually had this at all the competitions I'd been going to the season before, we would notice that there was kind of two coaching programs from in the Ontario area that seemed to be kind of like the best in Canada. Um, and so we kind of interviewed the coaches and thought which one would work best. And yeah, it worked out really well because actually the coach whose parents I ended up uh, living with, he is now the uh, national team coach. So, um, but at that time, even when we got onto the junior national team, you had to have a private coach. There wasn't necessarily like we weren't assigned a coach and anything. It was still very, uh, as much as it seems professional, it wasn't done super professional at the start. I don't think any of those do. <laughs> it's like, guess what? So now, so now you're on the junior national team. So that's where, how long did you spend there? And this is, does this tie in where the mental health, the athletic athletes, mental health tie in? Like, yeah, I can so, imagine you're like, this is something big and different for you. Yeah. I, I mean, I loved it at first. Like when I was a kid, I just told my parents, I can't wait till I can move and just snowboard and, really you know, good. be independent. I was very, very independent. So, you know, for the first couple of years, it was just awesome, like traveling the world and doing all these things. Um, you know, it was kind of like the best of times, but there's also a ton of injuries that ended up following. There was, I never had a coach before. Everyone I was riding with had always had coaches and been in programs since they were kids. So I had to relearn the basics. 
Um, so that was like a mindset shift of not being like, oh, what's the next big trick I can do? It's like, actually, let's learn how to even properly turn and approach a jump again so that then I can go back to learning those big tricks. So I had to learn to be humble and do those things. And it was a, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Uh, and I spent, you know, four years part of the national team program and uh, did junior world championships for two years until I aged out, um, did world, the World Cup circuit. Um, How does that feel when you age out at that age? I know, it's Sorry. so crazy. <laughs> Next I think level. it's under 20, perhaps. I think it's under 20 and 23, isn't it? It's kind of like to 21 or something. Uh, for us, I think it was 20 because I did it when I was 18 and 19. And then the next season I was too old. And so I got to go to Spain. I got to go to Turkey. But the year after, I think they went to uh, China. So I was like, oh man, I want to go to China. <laughs> but didn't get to, uh, didn't get to go uh, with the team there. So, um, but yeah, did all those events, had, had a blast, but you know, there was just, there was eventually over the end of the career, it started, there were just so many things like the injuries adding up. Um, I missed out on the 2014 Olympics. So that was weighing on me as well. Realistically being so young, 2018 was kind of my trajectory. Um, but 2014, we actually only sent two female snowboarders from Canada to the 2014 oh, Olympics. Geez, only two. Wow. Yeah, so we can only qualify a maximum of four, uh, and we only opened up two spots. Um, so it's really based off like results from the past two seasons. Like these things aren't really like who's best the month before. It's like well in advance. And then I was injured for a lot of the qualifiers. So basically coming back into it, if I wanted to make it, I would have to win one of the qualifiers. And at those events, like a top 20 is good because you're competing against everyone who's going to be at the Olympics. So to win a qualifier would be like the equivalent of winning the Olympics just to open your spot. So um, yeah, unfortunately missed out. One of my best friends, she got to go and she got, got that second spot. So that was, you know, it was good to watch her. And uh, yeah, but over time, just the injuries really weighed on me. I think also um, just being away from home, like for a while, I thought that was the greatest thing ever. But all of a at sudden- At first. <laughs> at first, yeah. But then you start to realize like, you know, all my school friends were doing different things, which I was fine with. Like I've always been someone who like, I want to do my different thing than they are. But I realized, especially being, I couldn't, I wasn't someone who could afford to be going to New Zealand and Australia all summer to train. So my snowboard friends were together all year doing that stuff. And I was home all summer working or doing something just to pay for, for competing. And then, uh, so I'd miss out that time with them. And then I'd catch back up with my home friends, but not really have anything to talk with them about because we had nothing in common with me traveling as a snowboarder and then, you know, in school or whatever they were doing so I just felt like it was hard you you it was hard to build those connections I think that's why people go to college and university that's such a time for a connection and you know kind of living between two worlds there and so there's just a lot of factors that that weighed into the decision to step away a lot of it definitely was injury and eventually came to a point where I was just really scared of getting injured again and knowing what a bad injury it, could do. besides the tailbone where you like shoulders, shoulders, concussion. concussions, ribs, oh. broke my ribs, uh, shins, broken ankle, uh, oh. wrist, uh, thumb. Sound like uh, my daughter. <laughs> when yeah. she just said all that stuff, I'm like, please don't get 
<laughs> but they, you know, what's crazy. So my, my coaches sat me down in my last season when I was trying, I was kind of, no one knew that I was kind of debating if, if this would be my final season, but I knew I was struggling with it internally and they were discussing, here's the game plan. If you want to qualify for 2018, like, here's what we think you need to do. And, but they were saying just weigh in that it's not an, if it's a, when you will have a major injury. And I was just like, I don't think I could do that. I, I, what, what really kind of cemented my decision that last season was I was in the hospital with a friend. I saw her get a horrible injury and uh, her mom had to drive down. We were in uh, Pennsylvania, drove down from Toronto to, to see her and just seeing how she was watching her daughter, you know, laying there getting kind of blood pumped out of her lungs and, and just saying like, I think we might have to, you know, talk about kind of not competing in snowboarding anymore. And I just, I spent the eight hours, uh, eight, probably more than eight hours driving back to Ottawa, just in my car in tears, just thinking about what yourself, thinking about what this could do for my family, what it could do for, I was passionate about other things outside of snowboarding and just thinking like, you know, if I get hurt here, like my whole rest of my life will be affected. Everything that I do here is going to affect everything else that I might want to do later. Um, and so I just started realizing that even if I was thinking that way, I realized then that's when you have to step away. I think they say this in F1 driving. If you have an, like any bit of fear, you have to retire from the sport. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing here because it's pretty much once you start looking at the sport from an external perspective and thinking, wow, this is really dangerous. This could affect this. You, you don't have that edge anymore. It's hard to, it's hard to get past that. Like it's always going to be there. Like when you go for a big, you know, a, you know, a big jump or, a, you're, you're not going to be in it 150% because you have that little bit of fear in there. And I totally get, my daughter had that in gymnastics mm -hmm. and um, that's why she could never fully get through the provincial program because like her coaches always said, well, she's got great potential but she's too fearful. Mm. And I gave her like, I sat her down. I said, you've got six months to train for this and to make, because in gymnastics, you have five events, right? You got floor, pommel horse, um, the bars, the beam. And I think, I don't think there's something else, but <laughs> so she was good in all of them, except for the uneven bars. Oh, and yeah, those she are couldn't, scary. Yeah. <laughs> so she, she couldn't get past those, but you have to have all five of them. You can't just do four. Yeah. And, um, and so I said, you have till this competition to train hard. And if it doesn't go well, then I'm pulling you out of gymnastics. Like it doesn't make sense for me to be paying all this money and you not being able to move yourself forward. And so I pulled her and, and she didn't, she didn't make it. I'm like, I know you can do it, but you have to get past this fear, whatever the fear is. Like I'm, there's coaches, there's lots of good coaches here that can help you give you ideas or whatever and practice. Um, and, uh, but here's a little sidebar and I'm telling that, that she was visually impaired. She is visually impaired. So even to be in gymnastics. Yeah, that would be gymnastics. difficult. Yeah. Um, so just imagine you have like, you only have use of one eye and you've got like a toilet paper roll along the other one. So yeah, that was- Especially the uneven bars. I would see that being very, very scary. It was 
it was huge for her because it was there, then it was gone, and then it was there mm. again. And, but kudos, like six, eight years she was in there. She went to the pommel track, like just the tumble track. And oh, yeah. So it's, it's individual and she's just, <laughs> ever see your kid flipping like that? Unbelievable. <laughs> and um, anyways, but uh, she, she moved out of that and she went to dance, which wasn't <laughs> the best because there's too much <laughs> moving around. I said, you should be a solo, right? Solo dancer. And now she's into cycling. And oh yeah, I can see that, you know, yeah. focus right ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, no crits. <laughs> like, I saw her, I watched her do a little crit with some kids. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> no, like, she can't. See. Anyways, but she got picked up for the provincial para athlete program. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. So now she's 18 and she has to make a decision. Like, now I'm like, okay, now this is like serious. Like this is, could be very serious and it's a extremely competitive category she's in uh, visually impaired. Because everybody, doesn't matter how old you are, how good you are, you're all on tandem bikes and you have to kill it on the tandem bike. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, wow is right. Wow. I'm like, you need to get serious. <laughs> yeah so but it's it's cool watching your kids so when did you go back to school were you in yeah. school the whole time or yes I was yeah so anytime I was injured it was basically catch up on essays time uh, pretty oh, much uh, online university throughout the whole time so there was times where I'd be at nationals and it would be 10 p.m afterwards and I'd be like hey guys when's dinner because I was on my laptop working with still my snowboard pants on and they'd be like, we ate hours ago. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like it, it was hard to manage all those things uh, for sure. Trying to, you know, afford snowboarding, trying to, to compete and then trying to do school at the same time. It was, it was a lot. Were you a snowboard coach at the same time? No. So basically my, my full focus was on snowboarding. Um, yeah. So I only, I coached snowboarding, I think when I was 14 to 16 maybe um and then yeah once I got into the national team that was just like because I wasn't even home enough like I was gone all the time okay I thought you were you would snowboard like on a hill and then do your training but I guess you didn't have time for that no yeah basically just train like whenever I was even home in Ottawa I would go to Edelweiss during the weekdays all day by oh. myself uh, yeah, and so I'd be the only person there. There might be like an older man, retired skiing, who'd try to come up on the lift with me just to ask me questions because he's wondering <laughs> why is this 19-year-old girl like not in school and just snowboarding all day. And I would go and just have a list of tricks and stuff I wanted to work on. It was also cool because you could work on stuff and fall without anyone watching you. Um, so like I kind of felt like it was like my little secret lab. And so, uh, yeah, that was my training whenever I was home because we would go to national team camps and stuff, but there'd be a few weeks where sometimes I would be home and that's what I would do. That's where we ski actually this year. They got awesome. a really, they've got a good snowboard, snowboard park for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They, they used to have uh, like some, like some good sized jumps like back in the day when they had the park pass and everything. So they could build some bigger stuff and yeah, that was good times. Some big stuff. I don't know what your big stuff looks like, but <laughs> <laughs> my daughter and I love to go down them. Not too oh fast, yeah. But. <laughs> I haven't, yeah, I mean, I haven't been, I think the last, I went there maybe a month ago, and I think they had just like that little small park at the bottom, 
um, but I'm sure they have their normal park building. So they, they were really uh, pumping the snow in there and they built the, the bigger one that starts from the top. Okay, good. And then yeah. it's, it's, it siphons into the smaller one with all the, the rails and stuff. Okay, yeah. Cool. So now, what did you go to university for? Uh, for business, yeah. So, hey. <laughs> yeah, that was always my passion. Uh, you know, I, I started my first business with my family at 10 years old. So uh, it was always balancing <laughs> business and, and sports. So that there was actually no question for me. What's the but first, what was the first business? We made and sold agility ladders. So uh, those like things that you run through. Yeah, like, at the time, Nike sold them for $100, which was insane so we made them for $12 and sold them for 25 and we sold them to teams and coaches and you know teams from Toronto would come up for a hockey tournament and we'd sell out and yeah it was awesome oh that's a great niche yeah I, I wish I... I wish social media was around then though I think we could have crushed it more because you know my brother was even younger than I was and so you see now like if a kid entrepreneur at 10 years old was on social media selling sport equipment oh my god that media would pick that up it would be cool yeah. but back then there wasn't that but uh, it was fun anyways well hey if you can run a business without social media imagine what you could do with social media as you know because you are a marketing agency now yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> How did you, so was that your whole plan to kind of go into business for yourself and yeah. how has that been working? Cause you said it's about 10 years. Yeah. So I've always, yeah, I've always been an entrepreneur. I kind of just always knew like I want to be an athlete or an, uh, or an entrepreneur when my parents asked me my backup plan, that was the backup plan. Um, and so they're <laughs> like, okay, yeah, sounds good. Uh, and so, yeah, always just had like different businesses, different things. Like I actually did during my time snowboarding, I did some um, like coaching, strength and conditioning coaching. I had a company and I would coach some of the local ski teams and snowboard teams uh, off in the off season when I was home. Um, so that was another business that I had. Um, but yeah, basically it started from me having to realize like with the financial aspect, my parents supported me as best they could, but they couldn't afford to send me all around the world. So I had to make things work. and. Um, it turned, I, I had to learn how to teach myself how to use social media and market myself to get sponsors. So I was able to eventually get some sponsorships that even my friends uh, who went on to become Olympic and X Games medalists, uh, they still ask me for my contacts to this day. And <laughs> I was getting eventually, uh, so I was able to get some of these really unique sponsorships to help me pay the way. So I didn't have to work and do these other things. Um, and eventually one of my sponsors asked me to do all their social media. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. I can do it remotely while I'm still competing. And they already knew that I was interested in having my own business. So they immediately were like, like, this is your own thing. So we can be your first client. And I was like, yeah, sounds, sounds great. So once I stepped off, you know, the, uh, stepped off from competing, I basically spent all my energy on just building up my business from there. That's super smart because finding unique sponsors like everybody goes for the regular people like you know and uh i have a cycling club and we're talking about sponsorship i'm like we need to think outside the box like people who have money like companies who have money and they're willing to support a fee you know a female or a woman's cycling club or something like forget about the bike shops or forget about those guys like everybody's asking them we need to go big like those, you know, the companies that are killing. So can you, can you share your unique sponsor? 
Yeah. So some of the stuff that I did, like, for example, I had all the traditional snowboard sponsors. So I was sponsored by Billabong, which also the top rider at that time, like she ended up winning the Olympics in 2014, was sponsored by Billabong. So I'm not going to get the same budget as she's going to get or the riders who are, you know, we're going to the same events and she's getting paid maybe uh, a ton of money from her energy drink sponsors and these, and I'm paying to go and compete against her when all, you know, she's going to win. She's going to get the <laughs> prize money. Sense. <laughs> so yeah, like it's, it's hard. I think it's hard for any athlete in that in-between stage, right? Where you might at the lower level, you might be winning events, getting prize money. That's cool. But now you have to compete at the very top, you know, world level and you're just fighting to come top 20. So you're not making money until you're coming in those top five you know, positions. So uh, even though you have these sponsors and you're working your way up with them, how do you get these other ones and these, these other deals? So for me, I looked locally for one, I was like, how can I get some local people attached with my story and my pursuit of what I'm trying to do? Uh, as well as I was also interested in fitness and strength. And so I thought, let me reach out to some of these companies that obviously sponsor a ton of athletes, NHL athletes, MLB, whatever. They don't have a snowboarder. Let me see if how I can bridge that gap to bring their product into the snowboarding space. So I think having those other passions allows you to kind of build a bridge between worlds where um, they might have never sponsored a snowboarder, but then they see, wow, she could open up a market share here, um, but she's into the fitness and the training. So it works well with bridging that gap so that's that's some of the things that, that I did to to try to make some of those things happen I also was not afraid to you know reach out and get rejected by companies I probably oh sent out a million emails to to companies and uh, I you know able to get some some great ones like for example the headphones I'm using now Skull Candy they were one of my first sponsors which uh, as a snowboarder is pretty rare because they're pretty you know sought after brand in the snowboard and action sports space and uh and they were one of my first sponsors before i had any of the smaller sponsors so uh, i was just able to like use unique ways to reach the right people and get those conversations going and kind of impress them with showing up to meetings and actually selling myself and doing some of those things and just trying to be well spoken in, in those situations just with my business knowledge um, so that that really really helped is just I try to get unique with it as well as you know present myself in a you know professional way that a lot of athletes might be scared to do or just haven't worked on that side of things. Again, that's very smart because at the end of the day, you really do have to sell yourself, and uh, and learning those skills are huge, huge because I mean you can't just sit there and expect that snowboarding is going to take you. Um, or any sport for any, for that matter, to the end and pay you. And you really do have to get creative, like creative. And then also setting yourself up for what's next. Because there's so many athletes, um, you know, that reach a certain level. It can be any sport. And then something happens, like you said, like injury, put you out of the game. And then they're like, what do I do? I was so reliant on everything around the sport and who am I now? Did you ever go through like an identity thing or uh, identity oh, like, crisis? Massive, massive, massive. Really? Okay. Is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Talk a little yeah. bit about that because that's a big part of uh, professional athletes. Yeah. I mean, now I, I advocate to a lot of athletes, like pursue some of those other passions that you have while you're still in the sport because they won't take away from it. It'll actually help you with one, getting these unique sponsors and building that gap and, you know, building your personal brand and all that good stuff. But it also helps you with, you know, making that transition later. 
Um, if all you've posted is only snowboarding and all of a sudden you're going to dive into something new, your audience might not follow you there. You might not have the connections to bridge into what's next. So for me, I was lucky in the sense that I had this business started. I had, you know, I started getting to CrossFit, all these different things. So I had that side of things, but it's very, very difficult to ever, uh, you know, expect the, the emotional side of things and that identity side of things. For me, I think I held on to snowboarding for a long time because I really worried would I even like, would people still want to hang out with me if I'm not the national team snowboarder? That's how, you know, my parents, I knew that they loved me no matter what. I knew uh, all those things, but you know, even at parties or with their friends, you know, all their friends wanted to ask me about is, oh, your dad was saying you're the national team snowboarder, you're traveling, you went to here and did this. Uh, are you going to make the next Olympics? Are you going to do this? And um, there's also that chip on your shoulder where, you know, I was in, I was in school and I told everyone I was going to be a pro snowboarder and they're like, you'll never do it. And so then despite, you know, making it and doing these things, I still just felt like, well, I didn't make my goal of making the Olympics. So I have to keep doing this. And you, that identity is just so wrapped up and it's just everything that people know you as. And, uh, and so I think as an athlete, it's really hard to realize that you're a human being first and then an athlete or anything else that you do in life second. Um, and so I really, when I stepped away from the sport, it was very, very difficult. Uh, I didn't know, you know, what to even talk with people about because all their conversations were always, where were you traveling? What were you doing? How was this competition? Um, so I, I had no idea what to do with that. Uh, I just really, really struggled with even just relationships. I struggled with um, just not having that adrenaline output that I was used to all day snowboarding. Where, what do I do with that? So I was looking for ways to get like the stress response just in everyday life. Um, and so I ended up uh, going to my doctor, uh, I think maybe a couple months after I stepped away and she diagnosed me with depression and anxiety. And I ended up going to, uh, to a therapist and that was like the, the best thing I could have done, I think, because as much as I, you know, had thrown myself into snowboarding and the growth that came with that, there was a lot of maturity and personal growth that just gets neglected because everything is focused on performance. Um, rather than like, you know, just how can I be better in all these other facets of life? And so uh, I did that. And then I ended up actually taking every dollar I had left. And I went to Bali for a month. <laughs> and uh, who doesn't go to in Indonesia, right? <laughs> Sit on the beach of Bali. Oh yes. So I did a solo trip for a month. I booked it a few weeks before. My parents were very worried. They're like, what if you have an anxiety attack, panic attack, and you're across the oh, world? Bali. And I said, <laughs> Uh, me. <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, I'm good. Like, I, I just need to do this. You know, my therapist actually said that it, I was like, sh my therapist said it was okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so I did that. And that honest, that changed a lot of things for me. I, you know, I learned uh, the minute I went there, it was like a weight was off my shoulder because I went there with no, no one I knew. There's no identity around who I am. I was able to make friends for who I am outside of my sport. I went to a gym, made friends. I was able to just do stuff on my own and be okay with just being alone because every trip that I'd ever done was with a team and you're focused on performance. And as much as you're goofing off and being a kid, you still have to act a certain way to make sure that coaches respect you or um, you're impressing your peers or you're not showing weakness to other competitors or you know all these things, right? So there's you're worried about the external and so you forget about the internal so that gave me a whole month of just getting to dive into that and I came back kind of I wouldn't say a new person there's still tons of stuff to work on once you get back thrown into the same environment but um but that really changed a lot of things for me and 
mental health and managing my mental health has been a huge part of, of who I am since then. And uh, I really, you know, I like to advocate and talk about those experiences now that I feel like I've healed and I'm doing things to manage them for other athletes going through the same thing, because uh, I think almost every athlete deals with that, including, you know, people who end up making career transitions of any kind at a young age, when you've dedicated decades of your life to something, it's, it's very, very difficult to let go of that identity. That was, um, now, so now you're, you're still snowboarding, but you're kind of out of snowboarding. Like you're not racing, you're not competing in anything. Is that where the CrossFit kind of fills the gap? I don't yeah. want to get into CrossFit, but is that <laughs> kind of, cause I have other questions, but is that where you're kind of, you've chosen now a new sport to dive into? Somewhat, yeah. So basically, I'd started CrossFit as the season before, or the, just the fall before my last season of snowboarding. Um, and I really felt like a home there with people who come from every background. And it was a start of me building relationships outside of just snowboarding. Um, because it was all of a sudden like a whole new thing. I have to be humble. There's people who are better than me uh, at this um, that are here and, and stronger and fitter than me. And so it was just a whole new learning process. Um, that allowed me to connect with others. So I continued that throughout my that season. I continued training just by myself and whatnot. And then, yeah, when I stepped away uh, from the sport, I dove in all my time. I was like, if I'm spending all my time on the mountain every day, I'm just going to spend all my time at the gym. <laughs> and uh, I took to CrossFit very, very quickly. And so, um, you know, people were always pushing me to compete and do these things. So I just dove into that. But I do think I I've been lucky enough to to travel the world a little bit with CrossFit as well. I've done competitions in China and in the UK and different places. But of course, what was interesting was in 2019, I went to, went to Bali again with, with my boyfriend and crashed my motorbike. Another. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's never that... been and he heard me talk about it. So, and he, he's never actually really traveled anywhere. So that was a big uh, trip for him. So uh, we did that after my competition in China because it was so close. So it didn't really cost us extra in the, in the flight. Why wouldn't you tag that on? <laughs> smart thing to do <laughs> yes exactly so yeah so so we did that but i crashed my motorbike and hurt my shoulder so i said okay well you know i was really starting to really really burn out i was having discussions with my crossfit coach of trying to manage my business and training like six hours a day in the gym very difficult so um that allowed me to take a break from the competitive side and just focus on my business. And then the pandemic happened, of course. <laughs> and they're so, like, you're just do not doing anything. You just stay home and never go out. Yeah. So now it's been two years, really, almost, uh, not quite, but almost two years since I've been compete, like actually done, you know, a full competition. And, uh, and I've been kind of training differently since then. And I would say that, you know, I started talking about my mental health and stuff before I stepped away from, uh, before the pandemic happened and all that kind of stuff. But it's actually given me this other layer of discovery because as much as I dealt with a lot of issues with identity and all this when I stepped away from snowboarding, there was still this energy that I put into attaching myself as an athlete. Like my snowboard friends thought that I left snowboarding to be a CrossFit athlete because I immediately you know, got good at it and started competing. So they said, oh, it's because Nat's just you know, doing this now. So right. I still had that identity as an athlete. So now I feel if I do dive back into any competitive sport, I can do it from a place. Uh, yeah. Like not a place Slowly. of that's my identity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can do it just more holistically and mindfully and being like, you know, no pressure. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. It's just, you know, doing it for the love of what I learned through competition. Do you feel that, you know, since 
and I'm sure you probably figured this out since you, since the pandemic, like you weren't able to go anywhere to work out. So how do you feel physically now that you haven't been like crazy training on anything for a while? Or have yeah. you, are you, or have you set something up at home? Like most of us? Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, in front of me, this, so in my office, it's half office, half gym on the other side. So I do, that's we the have, same with me. Got yeah. the gym. It's over there. My desk is over there. This is kind of like the clean corner. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we, we have the stuff. I, and when the summer comes, I think, especially living out here in Chelsea, we'll, we'll get more weights and everything. Cause I'd love to just work out outside and have, be able to weight lift and pull-ups and everything right now we just we have a squat rack but we don't have that many plates because it's impossible to find equipment right now so i just have like i'll a, sell you some okay. i don't use if you, have bumps, 45. <laughs> if you have bumper plates i want bumper plates that's what i'm looking for like the for the olympic bar yeah that you can drop like the the rubber ones oh, no i don't oh These yeah like the metal school. ones okay yeah yeah, sadly, <laughs> sadly not. But yeah, uh, it's it's been hard to find those rubber ones, I think, because all the CrossFitters are like doing home workouts. Oh, but, yeah. And you like just drop and have anything. Bent. Yeah, no, you're not. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have to eventually I'll get a, a larger setup for that. And I think when that happens, maybe I'll dive more into thinking about coming back to competition. Because I think I, I could still do it for sure. Um, but right now, yeah, I just explored different things. Like I even went back to like some body weight training. I did some endurance type stuff because that's, I'm, I'm like naturally strong and powerful, but endurance, not my thing. So <laughs> I've been having to work on that. Like pacing is not good for me. Oh, uh, ooh, that always helped. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm not a pacer. I go out hard and burn and die. <laughs> So I've been learning those things. So, you know, I've been Nordic skiing and my, my outlook now, at least while, you know, I'm stuck at home and I won't say stuck at home, but lucky to be at home and, um, yeah. and, you know, focusing on my business and content and things like that is I do, I train so that it gives me energy and also just to keep building that base for when I do want to come back. I like have a base there that I'm not going to be, get injured from ramping up my training a bunch. So I'm just trying to, you know, keep everything strong, keep rehabbing my shoulder because it still bothers me, um, work on that endurance base. And then if I want to dive and add stuff to that later, I can do that. But it's more like, does this workout give me energy or does it take it away? Because before six hours a day at the gym, that took all my energy and there was no mental energy left for focusing on work. It was just like, you know, just reaching that brain dead point from all that training. So now it's the opposite. It's like work comes first, you know, that, that those goals and priorities, and then how does my training add to the mix? Cause it's always going to be part of my life, but it's instead of being a stressor, I'm trying to look at it as an energy giver. Sure. Because, you know, now that you, you establish your business, of course, you got to, you know, you have clients you have to take care of and then, uh, and then, but don't ever forget the workouts. That's amazing. I love it, Natalie. And, um, I was just sort of talking to a couple of my clients that I'm like, I have, um, my daughter's in the para-athlete program and I'm actually coaching another girl who's in the para-athlete program. She's 30 years old. She's on a trike. So she has wow. like, um, she has a brain brain injury. And so one side of her side is like all in paralysis. So she can't hold her hand. Um, and I talked to her, I said, you know, like she has a, and I talked to both of them, like she's older than my daughter, but, and I, I know I'm, I'm just saying like, 
because this sport, I said, I, I really encouraging her to share her story as she goes along. Yeah. And because this can work in a whole lot of different ways for her, uh, followers, um, support sponsors and after the fact, like being somebody like you who, you know, will talk about like, um, public speaker, yeah. talk about her experience because she is just getting started. She has great potential. She has a massively strong mindset with it comes to, you know, doing her training. And now we're getting more into mental focus because this is a, like, um, a first event she's going to start uh, in in this year. Um, you know, she's on the provincial. Uh, she's been ex she's been asked to you know join the provincial team, um, and so it's huge. You go from like recreational cyclist at thirty to becoming and being coached and being led to being you know potentially grow to, you know, Olympic athlete, like she has the potential of going there because her category, there's like hardly anybody in it. Like it's so small. It's not as competitive. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm really encouraging her to build up herself now so that she has something to fall back on at the end, you know, whatever that end looks like, you yeah, know, that's good. And you, that's good would idea. you have some advice for, you know, somebody young who's, who is moving in the direction of provincial national athlete in whatever sport, like going through what you've been through, what would you, what would be the main thing that you would give to them as advice to think about when they're 17, you know, yeah. going down the path? I think, I mean, from, from the, the marketing standpoint and setting yourself up for like those opportunities after sport, definitely what you're saying with documenting the process and sharing that and, you know, sharing not only the highs, but the lows, I think there's so much value to that. And especially, you know, nowadays, especially with the pandemic, everyone can use some more motivation and inspiration and just following someone's journey can really do that, especially an athlete's journey. And so I think that's, that's great. Like, I think that's, that's a, a really good way to go. I think like mentally too, is just explore some of those other passions as well. And just make sure that, you know, the way you view yourself, you take that, that time off. Cause it's can be really difficult. Like for me, I was like, I just want to, every single action I do has to be to get better at snowboarding. And as much as that is true in a sense to be at the top level of sport, uh, I think that you can kind of look at it in a, in a, and a mindset that serves you for that possible transition later, where just exploring some of those other things, not neglecting relationships, not neglecting, like for me, it was like, I'm not going to date anyone. I'm not going to go to any parties. I'm not going to do these things. <laughs> right. Like I, you I know, have the distractions, no boys. No. Exactly. Well, that was, that was my mindset until a few years ago. So, uh, it's literally that. And so I, I think, you know, it's just letting yourself do some of those, those things and just be the age that you are, because, you know, for me, I don't, I don't have any regrets per se, like all those lessons I learned, I had to learn, but sometimes I, you know, hear stories of what my friends did at these ages and I'm like, okay, well, I don't wish I partied and did all these things, but there are some, some rites of passages that I wish I didn't have skipped out on or thought weren't important at the, in the moment. Oh, that's so powerful. Yeah. Like 
living your childhood, you know, your teen years, but you know, there's always a party to be had somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know what I used to have, I was telling my boyfriend the other day that in my uh, Facebook uh, bio back in the day when you can put like your favorite quote or something, I don't even know if uh, you put that now. It's like a yearbook. <laughs> yeah. My, my quote was from this gymnastics TV show and it was like, the only party I want to go to is in the Olympic village. And I was like, oh, that I really described my mindset back then. Like I was just so focused in and um, you know, I, some of my best memories from my snowboard years, is just hanging out with everybody and meeting the people from the different countries. And some of those, those times where after junior world championships were over and we all went out to party, uh, with everyone from around the world, like those are really cool stories. And, um, probably know. the better parties actually, <laughs> but yeah, like, they, like, you know, with your high school friends. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those, I don't think I missed too much skipping, but, but yeah, they, I mean, just, just, being present in those moments, right? Like I think, you know, pursuit and single-mindedness of this focus is, is great. But as long as you're present in that moment, for me, I was, sometimes I got lost of just thinking about the next thing. Like I just, when I make it and I become this, that's when everything's going to be great. Instead of like, oh my gosh, look at what I'm doing right now. Like, let me just focus on the now. And that's a big shift that my mindset has taken. Like now I'm, I am very focused on being present. And, you know, someone reached out to me the other day and asked me, like, what are your goals? It's kind of a random thing to message me, but they're just like, what are, what are your big goals? Do you make a big goal for this year? And I said, you know what, like as a super goal oriented person, and I, I do have like big goals and what I want to do in business and life. I said, no, my, my goal is just to, you know, every single day, get better, grow, learn, create, and keep sharing. And I just know I have these things that I know if I do every single day at the end of the year, I'll be a better person for it. And if I keep putting these things out there, opportunities will come and I'll be able to take advantage of them instead of just focusing on, okay, I have to do this and I'm not there yet. It's like, just, just focus on that moment and be there and live it out while you're in it. Wow. And I, that's so important. Now, one last question before we tie it up and I'm glad I wrote this down. What made you start a podcast? Because you got one, I got one, I'm going to be on yours. Since that. Um, but what made you decide to have a podcast? Yeah. So I actually started it in 2017, but I would say that it really kind of kicked off last year. Um, year. So when I, yeah, when I started it, I was, I was at the CrossFit gym and I realized I had so many connections like from my life in snowboarding, other coaches, athletes, like, uh, and then in business. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool to like, just ha share these conversations? Cause I found that one in my day-to-day -day life, I wasn't having as many of like the high performance and just deep conversations that I wanted to, but I knew with these people in, in the past I had, or if I brought on some expert that I know is into these things I'm passionate about, we would get into that type of conversation. So I said, if I can have these conversations and share them for others, I think it would be so beneficial because others might not be able to access that person to get that type of knowledge or conversation from them. So I started with it and I think I did like a few different episodes. I had a friend who was an Olympian, another uh, snowboard friend, uh, one of the uh, high level CrossFit Games athlete, a few, but there was just the space I was in at the, at the gym one was kind of a very judgmental space. And so all the listeners, they, uh, all the gym members, they all listened to my podcast. They were like huge fans and they still listen. They're awesome. Um, this is a gym that I've kind of moved on from, but then there was just, there was just some yeah. space where it's, 
Yeah. Well, now they started their own podcast, but of course they were judging me and I just didn't like having to come in every day and getting, Oh, like, what are you doing? You're doing this, you're doing your podcast. And it just, when I'm trying to train as an athlete in the gym, that it was a very high school vibe type place. So I'm glad I, I separated myself from that a, a few years ago, but like, uh, yeah, I'm I, a little bit more mature than this. Go get it. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I, I had to get, kind of go go past that for my own uh, personal <laughs> growth. I had to go away. But then also it was because of that weighing on me when I got super busy with work and I had to make a decision of like what can has to budge here from not burning out. That was the, the first thing that kind of had to go to the wayside because I was just busy with work. And I was like, I'm already getting judged for this. And even though it's fun, like I just got to put it on pause. So I think in 2018, I did like one episode or two, like I try to like do a couple sporadic and then the pandemic happened. Uh, and I just, I saw everyone going, doing Instagram lives and all these things. And I thought I'm going to do an Instagram live show and I'm going to bring on some of my friends. So the first person I had on, she was my friend who's an X games gold medalist. And we did like an Instagram, uh, a happy hour. And I totally, I didn't even record it. I just, you know, we did it live. We had maybe a thousand people tuned in. It was awesome. Uh, and I was like, that was, that was really great. Like, I'm going to continue doing that, especially again, it was filling this void of not having those conversations when we can't see people. So uh, I started doing that once a week and I did that all throughout until the fall, like since March of last year, all the way to the fall, I did this weekly Instagram live show and I started getting on some awesome guests, different connections. I even had a speaker, uh, speaking agents booking their uh, people on my show. It was so crazy. Like it was, it was really cool. And I used those, uh, those live episodes. I literally just take the audio and put them on my podcast. So it kind of revived that whole thing. And I was like, this, like, this was the highlight of my entire, you know, lockdown was like, this is what's getting me through these awesome conversations and bringing people together and the feedback I was getting of people who were tuning in every week and saying like, please keep doing these. And I was like, okay. So I was really, really excited about it. And then, uh, then, you know, things, opportunities came up. And so I just was sh I shifted it back to being like a full podcast resort recorded on zoom because I wanted to up the quality again and especially with winter coming and people starting to get back especially in the states people are kind of some places are not in lockdown so they're back to their normal activities I knew that it wasn't it wasn't as easy to book them on a live show so if I can just book things around my schedule and people's schedule um, it was easier to do so so that's pretty much how the podcast got revived so I like to say you know it did start in 2017 but really it, it kind of got going last year and it's it's been awesome just to connect with a ton of people, reconnect with people who I was kind of connected with, but never, you know, fully, you know, dove into full conversations with, and then old friends and, and new friends and connections. Oh, that's cool. Cause I started mine. I was thinking, so this start, mine started in 2018. I was like, we need, and I did it on live too on Facebook and, um, and I saved all of them. And, and then I went on holidays. So I was doing them once a week and, or no, maybe it was even once a month. I can't believe, but they were live, like on location. Yeah, so okay, I would yeah. book it with my friends, like either they had a bike shop. So I, was, I would go to Montreal, like I was traveling friends and thank God, <laughs> like, I don't know if I can keep that up, but um, it was cool because it was on location and we we're, you know, because one of my buddies he has a bike shop here in Ottawa Eurosports who might go might meet him um and he does custom paint jobs on bikes so you know going into his shop and like seeing all his stuff and yeah. so it was 
kind of fun for me, like just to get in, do that kind of interview. And um, yeah, and then I went on holidays for a month and then it just, I, I couldn't relaunch it. And I was just like, oh, I got to do that again. I got to do it again. And then <laughs> this fall, I started interviewing again a little bit before the pandemic, like sitting down and getting started again. And then that happened. And then I was just like, fuck, I really have to do this. So I hired somebody to help me get it going. And yeah. um, so I had like about 10 or 15 that I'd already done. So I had all those just to relaunch up again. And uh, I did it before Christmas. And uh, I literally have, I've done almost 30. So I do three a week. So I'm just nice. really plugging forward this year to get, get it up and going. So um, and I've awesome. got some pretty cool people. Like, yeah. I don't know if, um, Joe Friel, you probably know from, he's, uh, he's like the guru for like, he's like Tony Robbins to cycling. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm not super adept in the sense. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> cycling names, but yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, oh my God, he'll be on my podcast. We're going to promote his book and stuff. So I was like, Oh my God, like this is getting serious. Like, how do I monetize all of this stuff? Anyways, so this is just moving really, really quickly. And then I'm putting together cycling courses online to market and things like that. So, and I was actually referred to uh, somebody on LinkedIn referred me to you. Uh, yeah, I think that was uh, Bryce Monroe. Bryce. Yeah. 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 And then I told him, yeah, he, he sent me, I think the posting and I told him, yeah, I was like, we, we do stuff with athletes now just working on like, we, I basically consult teams and organizations that have athletes so I can run webinars and education. So instead of doing any management now, we completely focus on the consulting and education side. So then I told him, I was like, thanks for thinking of me. Like we don't do this as service anymore, but cool. And then I think that's how we kind of ended <laughs> well, up getting like, connected. Hey. We both have podcasts, so at least we can like help each other that way. We're, so yeah, so that was pretty cool. Anyways, this is, we've, gosh, we've gone on a long time, but this has been a really awesome conversation. I am so glad that, you know, we, we connected and we've been able to hear your story. I think this is really, really powerful. Um, being so young and going through you know, all those changes, um, as, you know, in transitions as an athlete, as a person, like your identity and everything. And I'm going to share this with my daughter, uh, <laughs> but, and I'm really excited that you're actually local. So we'll definitely have to meet up in like, I don't know, parking lot. Or something. <laughs> I'm trying to, to upgrade my uh, road bike. I have like old one that's not great so I'm, I'm upgrading it in the spring so that uh yeah maybe uh, i can hit the gats better watch kijiji now because there's no bikes to be had oh uh, so my brother managed the uh kunstad gleep store so i oh, got my i got my ins i'm good <laughs> good yeah. all right all right yeah. well get your name on a bike and get yeah. money down on it because i heard that's like buying it now before it even gets off the boat like is <laughs> Well, so the one. bike I have is a Kunstad Calabogie road bike that they made. It was like their, their bike that they made, I don't know, 
probably eight years ago or something. They don't make them anymore. And Eric Kunstad's daughter really wants it. So I told him, I said, all right, yeah, I'll give you my bike, but, but you got to help me with my upgrade then if you want this specific bike. So yeah, we're working something out. <laughs> yeah, work on Eric. Get a good deal. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'll get something good, but, um, but yeah, I'm sure we'll make, we'll make some good trades. There. <laughs> well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much again, uh, Natalie. This has been exceptional. And like I said, we gotta, we gotta connect at some point in time since you're like right down the road for me. Um, and thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Please don't forget to uh, subscribe and share. And if you feel so moved to write a review, give us a five star for this interview because it's been amazing. Um, and thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast, learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.